millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, Stalinist consumerism, um, something that develops during the second five-year plan. Um, the reason why I think this is important is because it's an aspect of uh, Stalinism that's very often overlooked, ignored um, and should have shunted to the sidelines and it was during the height of the Cold War, it's very unpopular um, area of discussion. Um, Sheila Fitzpatrick, when she wrote about it in Everyday Stalinism, was uh, at the time roundly criticised for presenting um, these very normal aspects of everyday living in uh, Stalinist Russia. But the the fact is that people did live through Stalinist Russia and support the regime and find things about the regime they liked. And for as many sort of um, personal, individualistic, and shall we say, for want of a better word, selfish reasons, as any um, consumer in a capitalist society, they found, um, to some extent, um, their needs met. No doubt, indeed, in Stalinist Russia, there were constant shortages. The five-year plans and mass industrialization uh, bring about these uh, on on a huge scale. Um, but in the um, uh, metropolitan centres such as Moscow, Leningrad uh, and other major cities, in the second five-year plan there is um, an attempt to encourage um, a, a kind of consumerism. Now, one of the reasons why this is an interesting phenomenon is because if you look at the revolutionary intelligentsia um, who um, develop revolutionary parties such as the Bolsheviks. Um, asceticism is a key part of their, um, their, their creed. The favoured read of the revolutionary intelligentsia, particularly uh, on Lenin uh, as a boy, his favourite books, is Chernyshevsky's uh, novel What is to be Done, which uh, features um, a revolutionary hero who abandons all familial relations, um, all of life's pleasures and creature comforts and toughens himself up by sleeping on a bed of nails in order to get ready for the revolution and get ready for the, the struggle. And the point of the book was that um, all um, 
uh, other uh, pleasures in life where uh, distractions, counter-revolutionary bourgeois distractions of fripperies designed to kind of steer the consciousness away into passivity uh, and away from revolutionary struggle. Um, Lenin didn't sleep on a bed of nails, neither did any of the other Bolsheviks as far as I'm aware, and did in fact actually have fairly comfortable existence, mostly if Robert Service's biography is to be believed, paid for by his mother. Um, and and uh, facilitated by his wife, Nadezhda Krupskaya. Um, the um, asceticism, however, of much of the um, revolution, revolutionary underground meant a kind of a uh, rejection of materialism um, for um, more spiritual, if you will, um, values uh, of you know, revolution and a commitment to that which is communal, that which is collective, um, away from that which is individualistic. So there was little chance really of any kind of um, material culture developing in the immediate aftermath of the revolution and of course you have um, the, uh, the thing that wrecks living standards more than anything else is not so much the Bolshevik takeover but the shortages, firstly, of the First World War, um, which had really led, in large part, to the fall of the Tsar in um, the February Revolution, but also the privations of the Russian Civil War, which are f of far greater magnitude, particularly as Lenin institutes the policy of war communism, which um, has the effect of uh, bringing about famine in the Ukraine and um, effectively starving many of Russia's major cities. This was Lenin's bid partly to create a, a war-winning um, economy that would supply uh, military forces um, at the expense of peasants who were dubious at best and counter-revolutionary at worst, in his eyes. Um, but it was also his bid to, as he put it, wage the war, wage the war on the internal front to um, destroy the bourgeoisie, to drag their living standards down um, to that, that of the proletariat, um, or you know, ideally to kill them off altogether, to um, create an enforced sense of classlessness through um, hunger and total dependence on the state. They, one of the reasons why the Bolsheviks were also effectively in the 1920s is that they control the food supply. They can decide who eats and who doesn't. Um, and uh, being either a member of the party or having the party smile favourably on you because you're one of the preferred social classes um, it, it enables one to uh, get something to eat, which is obviously an essential aspect of life. Um, the end of war communism and the development of Lenin's new economic policy was an acceptance by Lenin that as a strategic retreat from this uh, puritanical uh, version of revolutionary socialism was necessary in the face of massive rebellions across the country. Lenin dies in 1924 without really articulating precisely what's meant to happen with the NEP and you know, what is meant to come next, whether the NEP is meant to last. Um, Lenin intimated in some of his writings that it would probably have to last for, for decades in order for Russia to recover. Uh, if that is the case, if that really is what Lenin intended, 
than um, right from the very beginnings of the uh, Soviet Union. Uh, the idea of a fully state-led economy was, you know, fundamentally undermined, though we should probably never know. Um, Stalin in 1928 um, comes to power in part to resolve the question of what, um, let, what Russia will do, or what the Soviet Union will do economically. Will the NEP continue or will it end? And Stalin is unequivocal, he says it will end, and in its place will be another state-led drive, but this time a state-led industrialisation. And the first five-year plan from 1928 onwards is, um, is a part of that. Um, the first five-year plan focuses on heavy industry, on building uh, dams, on uh, hydroelectric plants, metallurgical um, plants, um, the creation of large infrastructure projects, things like the White Sea Canal. Um, and by 1933, the second five-year plan is launched. And um, Stalin in 1935 makes a speech to the um, Stakhanovites. Now, if you haven't um, listened to my podcast on the Stakhanovites already, it's worth a listen um, it is an exploration, really, of how the Soviet regime propagandised and motivated shock workers to um, hit their targets for production and indeed beat them um, and use them as an, as an integral part of Soviet culture, of the, the, the new proletarian culture, building the future and building socialism. But I won't talk about that here because I've already talked about it. So listen to it because, you, of course, I'm going to say this, but you will find it very interesting. Anyway, here's what Stalin has to say. He says, Some people think that socialism can be consolidated by a certain equalisation of people's material conditions based on a poor man's standard of living. That is not true. That is a petty bourgeois conception of socialism. In point of fact, socialism can succeed only on the basis of a high productivity of labour, higher than under capitalism, on the basis of abundance of products and of articles of consumption of all kinds, on the basis of prosperous of a prosperous and cultured life for all members of society. But if socialism is to achieve the same and to make our Soviet society the most prosperous of all societies, our country must have a productivity of labour which surpasses that of the foremost capitalist countries. So Stalin was essentially saying that the point of socialism isn't to kind of take the rich and drag them down to the poor, the level of the poor. Though this had indeed happened, you know, if they had survived the revolution at all. Oh, but it was, but it was to um, be provide a better standard of living than capitalist society could. The point of socialism, he says, really, is to beat social, is to beat capitalism, to be better than it, to um, provide. Uh, more abundance, higher living standards, and this must be based on uh, mass production, on, on hard work. And it's interesting, in that sentence, in that little uh, paragraph, you know, he introduces the idea of a more cultured people. And this was a, a key feature of Stalinist culture in the 1930s, of um, the um, people, the workers... Um, who wanted to really show that they were part of the regime, part of the regime's thinking, and part of Soviet society, 
um, engaging in all sorts of um, intellectual practices of learning about uh, nature, geography and literature um, and educating themselves. Part of being a good Soviet citizen was understanding the works of people like Dostoevsky and Shakespeare, um, any writer really that could get through the uh, hurdle of being considered counter-revolutionary, or understanding um, you know, the, uh, the, you know, knowing the, the capital cities of every country in the world or the no names of mountain ranges or lakes or rivers and that sort of thing. And this was, um, th this sort of level of, of kind of trivia, as we would think about it, was um, essential um, for uh, active Soviet citizens to, to be able to grasp, to know, to demonstrate that they were, they had elevated themselves culturally and uh, they were doing what it was the revolution seemed to require of them. Mass consumerism was slightly different. It really does begin from about 1935 onwards. Uh, department stores in Moscow open up with um, a, a wide range of um, customer choice. Um, advertised in Moscow newspapers are um, stores with you know, umpteen different types of fish and ham and uh, bakery and um, um, different cheeses and cakes and this sort of thing. Um, the kind of consumer choice that hasn't been available to Soviet citizens beforehand. Now, the, the extent to which um, this is available to, you know, the multitude is, is, is debatable. Uh, and certainly these things don't really make their way out into the sticks, into the provinces. And the model for them is, of course, the United States of America, where Soviet trade delegations visited on a regular basis throughout the 1930s, when there is a, a slightly awkward, a slightly uneasy relationship between the two countries, but by no means the hostility that exists after the Second World War. Um, Anastas Mikoyan, uh, um, um, Stalin's trade commissar, visits the, the, um, the USA in the 1930s. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And um, this may be an apocryphal tale, but um, it may... 
it's apocryphalness, if we can put that to one side for a moment, kind of still tells us something important. McCoyan, on his trip, went to the USA uh, with his trade delegation, and they thought, right, well, we're going to America, we must all get nice smart suits so we fit in. They went to the government-appointed tailor, um, and they all got the same suit made, because there is one kind. When they went to the USA, um, as a trade delegation of 20 or 30, they appeared to stand out like a sore thumb. Uh, and they suddenly realised that in America, everyone was wearing a different kind of suit, different, a different cut, a different cloth, a different colour, that kind of thing. And it soon became painfully aware that the Soviet system of mass production, which was state-led and um, not based around any kind of market demand, only produced really a uniform um, product, whereas uh, market-led mass production in the USA created a, a wide diversity of products and therefore consumer choice and that kind of thing. And this is an issue that the Soviet Union I don't think ever really manages to reconcile all the way up to the 1980s. The Soviet Union, uh, contrary to belief, is producing large numbers of consumer goods um, there are the cues that are uh, seen in um, video footage of the 1980s in the Soviet Union um, to get into shops. Aren't there because the Soviet Union can't make things? They're there because they're making the wrong kinds of things. You have cues for people to uh, get into shops to buy things that aren't there. And large warehouses full of uh, objects like shoes or briefcases... Uh, that have been manufactured, but they are the wrong size, the wrong shape, the wrong colour, the wrong everything, and there's no no demand for them. So by attempting to um, remove the operation of free markets from society, the state therefore took it upon itself to be the uh, decision maker, the production decision maker, and this necessitates a vast and unwieldy bureaucracy. This is one of the legacies of Stalinism. Um, the bureaucrat during the Stalinist era, particularly as a result of this uh, process, becomes a much mocked and ridiculed character. The idea that there is absolutely no dissent in Stalinist Russia isn't quite right. Uh, satirical magazines like Crocodile, for example, um, were quite capable of openly poking fun at the, the venal, petty little bureaucrat um, who um, handed out um, uh, ration tickets and coupons for everything. And Stalin himself didn't, didn't seem to particularly mind um, lower members of the food chain, um, the uh, kind of the jobs worth of, Stal of, of the regime, uh, being criticised and openly mocked. And he, he, he um, occasionally launches into them in his many, many speeches. It is when he, as a, um, a central figure, is openly criticised that you know, that's when um, all manner of violent things tend to, tend to be un unleashed. But um, he himself was um, quite happy to have a, um, a break with this... Um, ideological asceticism that had existed, um, this, this sense that um, the, the people must be denied their material needs for their, their kind of uh, almost sort of ideological and spiritual betterment, 
this was something that was uh, halfway through the five-year plans. It was um, a it was clearly uh, good to uh, for him to abandon. And the key to understanding this kind of apparent contradiction is this. It's impossible for consumerism to bring about bourgeois values uh, when there's no bourgeoisie. The bourgeoisie have been wiped out, their um, um, ability to kind of corrupt Soviet society uh, is, is now long gone. There is no free market anymore, so people cannot set up shops and department stores and make themselves terribly rich and exploit others. Therefore, the consumerism is going to be a socialist consumerism and it's going to enable people to enjoy life. And the point of the revolution really was ultimately to create a standard of, an unparalleled standard of living for everybody um, in an egalitarian and classless way. However, the idea that the Soviet Union was an egalitarian society is, of course, um, a, a long debunked myth. Of course it wasn't, but the class that emerges is a bureaucrat class, a party class, one that uh, is uh, more than happy to hang on to um, the, 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 uh, the rewards of the revolution. Almost from the get-go, um, the uh, party, uh, party members managed to sequester themselves um, uh, the uh, homes of the former bourgeoisie or um, dashes outside Moscow or um, the or apartments in the much sought after Grinovsky building where people like Trotsky um, and later Molotov lived or suites at the, uh, the Metropole Hotel um, and they had uh, chauffeurs and um, other perks that had been really looted from the bourgeoisie um, who had been uh, murdered or sent off to prison camps. And this, the, the justification for this is that, well, these are the people who are leading forth the revolution. They are revolutionary vanguard, they must be looked after, they're a special privileged class. And this continued on uh, throughout Stalinism, um, there are um, numerous accounts of um, people who are sent letters, commandants of gulags, living in um, extreme um, opulence. And um, if you read an Applebaum's book, indeed, titled Gulag, it has a number of case studies of very, um, very well looked after, rewarded and comfortable party figures um, out in the in the wilds of Siberia, presiding over the, the the deaths of large numbers of people, but on the, even on a more banal scale, um, because the party controls the resources of Soviet Russia, and because it is there, everything is immensely bureaucratized. There's a huge amount of venality and corruption, and theft and graft. And people and and uh, officials within um, the uh, structure of um, Soviet society, making sure that they get well rewarded, largely at the expense of the general public. Hence, this widespread suspicion of uh, of the bureaucrat um, in uh, in the Soviet Union. Uh, the the bureaucrat acts really almost as a, a kind of a barrier between the individual and this and uh, the Soviet state as opposed to um, a, a facilitator. 
Um, but this is perhaps uh, nothing special and new, specifically germane to communism, and more to do with a, a long-established tradition of state-led um, corruption and venality that uh, goes way back into the Tsarist era. Um, this one just has a kind of a slightly more ideological justification and, and veneer. The, the lifestyles of some of the um, chief party members are, are illuminating. Um, there is a story of um, Molotov's wife, very beautiful and glamorous a woman, uh, Paulina Zemprashina, who um, was having a, uh, a manicure and a perm on the day that she discovered that the uh, Nazis were invading the Soviet Union. Um, which gives you an indication of the the kind of the uh, well kept lifestyles in which uh, party officials and party families lived, and of course foreign visitors to the Soviet Union were only shown um, the aspects of opulence and consumerism, um, the uh, fellow traveller movement of which I've, I've talked about previously, people such as Sidney and Beatrice Webb and H.G. Um, uh, Wells and George Bernard Shaw were um, treated, shown uh, a great deal of Soviet prosperity and came away with the perception, really, that Soviet communism, whatever else it is, it might be brutal, but damn it, it works. And again, people like Anthony Eden and Winston Churchill, when they visit the Soviet Union during the war, are um, fed until they burst. And it is another way of the Soviet Union announcing its, um, despite its setbacks with Hitler, its material success and its ability to feed its population, which was seriously challenged at that period of time. So um, the point of all of this, I think, is that we have to move away from this kind of rather convenient uh, and inaccurate view of Stalin's Russia. Um, there is obviously... Um, a, you know, immense periods of state violence during the purges and during the collectivization campaign um, and though that notwithstanding there are still people who are happy to support the regime even um, at this at these times um, partly because they look upon the victims of state violence as either actual counter-revolutionaries and troublemakers and dangerous individuals people need to be dealt with and got rid of threats to the revolution um, or people that have perhaps brought it on themselves or deserve what they get, or there's more often there's a, um, a desire to look the other way, to, to not see. And there is a, a, a degree of a genuine support for the regime based on um, a belief that life in the Soviet Union is improving, living standards are going up, and that there is more to eat and more consumer choice and a better standard of life, really, than in the West, because thrown into this uh, as well is the um, belief that life in the West is kind of uh, some sort of oppressive Dickensian um, hell, particularly in America, tainted with racial violence and, and prejudice. Um, the uh, Soviet news agencies really um, are... Uh, quick to report um, stories of uh, violence against black Americans in the Deep South, for example. And the um, 
there is a belief also that the workers in the West don't get the uh, the right to participate in the building of their societies in the way that Soviet workers get to, to um, uh, join in in the process of building socialism. And so at the kind of the high point of Stalinism in the mid-1930s, it does have a widespread support through large sectors of the population. Um, and it's only after the death of Stalin in 1953, you get outbreaks of um, open revolt or rejoicing, really in the gulags and in other places where um, Stalin has inflicted immense violence and suffering. But in large part, there is mourning and, and grief uh, among uh, large sections of the Soviet population. Anyway, I hope you found this useful, and um, just to remind you, we've got an ongoing crowdfunding campaign. If you can spare but a penny, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, all contributions gratefully received, and it means we can keep putting out the Explaining History podcast without having to rely on advertisers, and hopefully we can expand the uh, podcast in other ways in the near future. Anyway, if you can support at all, it would be greatly appreciated. There's a link underneath this podcast. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.